turn to Matthew chapter 7, and let's begin tonight at verse 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. Now, to me, I think I said this last week, but in all the various things that I've taught for the last 40 years in the Bible, this to me is one of the most sobering. If you want to use the word hard, I don't, but one of the hardest messages in all of Scripture. It's a message that you have to be sober-minded to listen to. You really have to evaluate yourself here and, and see in terms of what God calls discipleship or what God calls following him or serving him. You'll have to look and determine for yourself if you're there because it appears that the only ones that are going to be saved are those that go through the straight gate. Because he said there's another way. There's two ways tonight. There's a broad way and a narrow way. One leads to life. One leads to destruction. It's an either or. There's nothing in the Bible here about if you're not there or if you're not here, then you're there. The Bible addresses that in the Laodicean church where he says, if you're neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because it seems that Jesus speaks many times, like in the Sermon on the Mount, using pairs groups of two, like it's an either or thing, like here in Matthew chapter 7, that 13 and 14 we're talking about tonight, are two ways, not three ways, not two and a half, or it's just two ways, one way or another way. And in verses 15 through 20, about two, two trees, one tree or another tree, either good or bad, there is no other tree. And then in verse 21 and 22, there's two claims, two claims to, to what a man believes. But Lord, we did this. And Jesus said, I never knew you. And then there's the last one we'll come up with in the verses 24 through 27 of two houses, one built on the sand and one built on a rock. It seems clear to me that Jesus brings us to this in this message, in the Sermon on the Mount, and I can see why a lot of people would like to bypass it, would not like to dwell on the content of Matthews 5, 6, and 7, because you can't escape the fact that, that you are challenged by God. Just in reading it, you are challenged. If you study it, you're really challenged, because it comes down, to me at least, uh, to an either-or. It's either black or white, yes or no, up or down, in or out. I mean, it's, it's one or the other. And you have to make that decision because God has ordained that man lives by choices. God will offer to you his word and will say like this is the way, not a way, but the way, walk ye in it. There are other ways that people walk, but there's only one way that's right and everything else is wrong. There is no other right way except the way that he gives. And you have to evaluate yourself. I know I do. You have to determine now, are you really living this way or are you just talking this way? Are you really living this way or are you assuming that you're all right because, and you look at, the, at your life, you go to church, you've done this, you've been there in all these years, 50 years, you've been around the Christianity and you understand things and you don't, smoke, drink, and run around, and you, so you must be all right, because a lot of people do that. They evaluate themselves in light of themselves, or by themselves, and they reach a verdict, and I'm okay. And yet, when you read the scripture, there are no alternatives, there are no substitutes for this. What God says, he says to us. We can't escape the fact that, like tonight in our text, we can't escape the fact that there are two ways or passages through life. One leads to life, eternal life, and the other leads to destruction, because that's what he says in verse 14 uh, about destruction. So let's look first of all at the way that leads to death, the way that leads to life, the popular way, the, the way that Jesus said many will live this way. 
Many, in contrast to few, would be all. Let me say that again. If you put the whole of life, all living individuals in one place, you just put them right here, and you said a few of you will make it, but many of you won't. It doesn't mean that many leaves room for others. It just says either a few or many, one or the other. But the way is open to all of us so that nobody here has to be left behind. Okay? Nobody here has to brood over the fact that I'm not going to make You can make it. If you are willing and obedient, you will. Now, if you're trying to do as little as you can and you're not really putting your heart and soul into this, then your heart, as the Bible teaches, your heart will condemn you. It'll smite you. You will know in your heart because your heart becomes a judge of the thoughts and intents of your heart. I mean, God is a judge of that, but your heart will always declare what you know is true. You know, again, you're driving 50. Somebody said, how fast are you going? The speed limit says 40. You'll say 40 because you don't want to be guilty. And we're living in a time in which people will do anything they can to, to stay away from guilt. Guilt is a terrible thing that hangs on a person. I think it puts people in homes and puts people in black holes and people in their lives because of guilt because they don't know how to get rid of it. Guilt is a condition inside of a man that declares you should be judged. You're worthy of judgment. No matter how hard you try not to be guilty, you can't but be guilty. And the only way we get rid of this guilt, this certainty of our need for punishment, is through Christ. For as it says in Isaiah 53, that Jesus bore our guilt. If he did that, I no longer have to be guilty for my past sins because he bore them for me, and if I believe in him, then I'm free. For by grace through faith are you saved, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. So it's, this is how we're saved. We have to believe that what was done was done for us. And then it, it lifts up off of us if you believe. If you really did believe and surrender, you're lifted off of this thing about guilt because there's no way you can read this and not know that you're guilty. You just can't. And, and as a Christian, that you can read this and know that God has taken care of all your sins. Your sin question, the sin issue for you has been settled. But you've got a life to live. You can't assume that because you went forward 30 years ago that I'm all right. Because if you tell me I have to do anything at all, then you're going to tell me I'm saved by works. And I don't believe that. And, you know, the Bible doesn't give us that way to think. That's not the way we should look at it. If I am saved, it is required of me to live saved. Not because I'm trying to get saved, I am saved. But as a saved individual, this book tells us here, your light has to shine. You don't hide it, you let it shine. You declare his, you're his mouthpiece on this earth. You can't just sit back and say, well, I don't have to do that. Well, that's not required of me, I don't have to do anything. No, that's not, that's not the way we should think. You can't do something and be saved. But if you are saved, you will do something. That's James chapter 2. No, you're not saved by works, but you're not saved apart from them either. They go together. And it's, it's not hard to figure out. It's just simple matter of reading and evaluating yourself and say, you know, if Jesus said we should do this, we should do that. If I know I'm not doing that, then all I have to do is to make a decision to do that. I don't have to stay in a stagnant state all my life and say, well, I can't do that. I'm not. No, you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and that's the only way I can do it. I cannot do it of myself. It has to be the leading of the Lord, the power of his spirit, and so forth. But the broad way, the broad way, the Bible says, is a way that leads to destruction. Verse 13, that leadeth to destruction. Now look up in the Greek dictionary, the word destruction, uh, because the word also means ruin. It leads to ultimate ruin. But this is some light that was cast on it in the dictionary. It says, refers to the state after death, wherein exclusion from salvation is a realized fact. 
wherein man, instead of becoming what he might have been, is lost and ruined. Now, let me say it again. There's no reason for people who can hear this, who listen to this, there's no reason for you to wind up like that. There's no reason for it to come to that in your life because sitting here tonight, listening wherever you are, your eyes are open, your brain works, you've got time, you're comfortable, you can listen. There's no reason why, and God will say it to you on the other side if you don't. There is no reason why you can't live this life. It is a matter of choice. If you're willing. If you're willing. Somebody said, well, what about that election? We're not even talking about election. It doesn't matter. Who knows what about that as far as who knows? The point of it is I'm here right now. I hear him saying something. What am I going to do about it? It's up to me. This is the way Walkie in it. So what is this Broadway then? Because I need to avoid this. Well, a Broadway obviously is, a, is an easy way. In contrast to a narrow way, which defines being confined and difficult and, and, and not very spacious, a Broadway spiritually is an easy way. Plenty of room. No problems. Many are there. you got a lot of company. You'll all agree together. You can get together and agree that your way is good enough and it's all right. And if anybody's going to make it, we are. You can do that. In a lot of cases, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to be in a meeting. You can just uh, do good things in your life, have a good evaluation of yourself. That's good enough. you got lots of room, liberties. You can do a little drinking every now and then. You can smoke, you know, you can, because this is how they talk. This is the way you'll learn it in the world. A liberal, broad way is a after all and come on now and hey. That's the kind of language that they use to disarm you from being so rigid and so structured and so legalistic and dogmatic in your Christian life. Because the world views anybody that has to live on these very narrow terms of God, they call that a, a life without fun, uh, a dull life, uh, a cultish type of life. Uh, you make people uncomfortable when you don't do what they do, when you don't talk the way they talk, when you don't dress the way they dress, you don't act the way they act, you make people uncomfortable. When they find out you're a religious person, then, oh, well, uh, the Broadway's like that. It's a philosophy of live and let live. Do as you want. Just be good. I mean, don't hurt people. Like my high school principal told me once, <clears throat> if I'm good and kind and nice and I help people and I don't rock boats and I'm going to heaven because as far as he probably knew in his life, we didn't have a long conversation, but I imagine that Mr. Reese, in his growing up years, his involvement in social church, this broad way that, the, that is woven for man to live and be a part of our church, but you don't have to feel uncomfortable with what we say because we'll make it so that you can make it mean what you want it to. I imagine he had that kind of liberty addressed to him when, if, if, if he was ever in church. And people like that become a law unto themselves. It's how you see it. Nobody has the right to tell you how to live. If it's the way I believe, I don't have a right to tell you to live this way. So you find out for yourself and you live. And as long as you're sincere in the way you live, you'll be all right. Because he thought he was going to heaven because of that. What funeral had he ever been to in which people that he knew were not Christian were preached into heaven? I mean, nobody wants to go to a funeral and hear somebody talk about who's not going to heaven anyway. I've only heard of one story where that happened where they shut the casket and the mountain preacher slammed down his hand on top of the casket and yelled at the people. This man went to hell and every one of you know it. Now we can't help him, but I'm going to preach to you. And then he took off and the, the funeral director who was telling me this story said, boy, I thought we were all going to get shot. It was down the mountains. <laughs> but is it true that no matter how miserable a life a man lived, nobody should perish eternally. Nobody should slip into a darkness where their worm dieth not, where there's no relief, whether it's fire or just outer blackness. 
I, I can't imagine a state worse than, a, than the New Jerusalem coming down when heavens are dissolved. There's no earth, no, no universe, no light, just the heavenly Jerusalem, the only light that exists in space. And everybody that's not there is out there. We can't see them. They can see us. They can never get in there. It's just a, it's a eternal separation from God. Plus, if there's a fire is there, that'll be there too. And all the gnashing of teeth, all of that'll be there too. It didn't have to happen, but people chose to live that way. You know, you don't have to close your Bible and say, well, I'm going to listen to all of, all of that. If somebody's preaching the truth to you and telling you how narrow this is, and you say, well, I don't have to listen to that. I'll go somewhere else. That's the broad way. That's the mentality that, that delivers people to destruction. We have a way we want to live in this life. We have goals for ourselves in this life. We really don't want God to interfere with it with rules, as they call it, with the, all these rules. And so they... Uh, they choose not to do this. They choose not to hear this. They don't want it. They turn away from it. They like their buddies and their routines and their porno, and they like their beer. And they know that in most churches they can do that and belong there, and nobody's going to say anything to you. Now, I mean, nobody's going to really get all that bothered about it because, well, you shouldn't do that, but a lot of people do. And, you know, they, as far as they know, they're as good as anybody. Now, doesn't the Bible teach us about this broad way? First of all, is there not but one way? Didn't Jesus say in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the light. That article, the, means there's no other. I am the only way to life and the only truth that you'll ever find and the only way that's ever going to be right. Now, we know that that's true. But is it not also true that a lot of people in reading about that way draw back from it and devise another way? See, I get accused of being rude. 30 years ago, nobody said a word about it. Now you get this flack every now and then, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. You can't have 15 churches in one town on 15 different corners preaching 15 different things and saying they're all okay. Now, the question is, how does 15 different people come up with 15 different slants, spins, or views, or ways, and they're all okay? And how do we come to the place of saying, well, it doesn't matter what you believe? How did all of this happen? Is it not what the Bible said? There is a way. There is a way that seems right. But the end of those ways are the ways of death. We look at a lot of people, a lot of religious people, because we'll get to that in a minute, but a lot of religious people are going to be shocked because they, it seems like they had the goods. Can you all find the book of Luke for just one brief moment? Luke chapter 8 and verse 18. It looked like, it seemed like they had it. Remember this story here in Luke chapter 8? We're going to kind of jump out of the context for just one second here. It said, you know, in verse 16, no man, when he lights a candle, puts it under a bushel. He keeps it uncovered so people can see the light. In verse 17, it says, nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither is there anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Now, to us, in light of that, verse 18, and what I just said, therefore... Take heed, therefore, how you hear. Does your Bible say that? Amen. See, it is essential in living the Christian life. Listen to me. It is essential to hear the word. What people do all over the world that go places all over the world and are never a part of anything where they're being taught, I don't know. But I know this, that it is important and essential to hear the truth. You cannot have faith in something that's not clear. And if we're going to walk by faith, I've got to have a clear word to have a clear faith. It needs to be laid out so that I can see it. And if I don't see it the first time, I've got to have access to somebody or something that can clear this up for me. Because if I can't walk by faith, I can't walk with God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And he must also believe that God is a rewarder, which very few Christians do believe. 
They know he could. They know he has. They don't believe he will. So I want my faith to embrace all of this. So he said, take heed therefore how you hear. Casually, it won't work. As a duty, it won't work. With hunger, it will work. Amen. Take heed how you hear. For whomsoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, listen, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Would you say it's possible then in reading that, that it looks like he has something he really doesn't have? We thought he did, or she did, they did. We thought they did. They look like they did. They act like they, they did. But when it came right down to it, when this time comes and everything's exposed and made, brought to light, what, was, what they thought they had, they're going to lose that. What they seemeth to have. This is a problem in the world because this is the way people are taught. This is the influence of a religion that comes out of a broad way. A religion that appeals to everybody so that all are happy. A religion that majors on, on two words. Remember what the two words are? Comfort and happiness. Make me comfortable. Make me happy. This, I can then be popular, admired, well thought of, blessed. You're comfortable, you're happy, we're not dealing with your life or issues in your life, but we're talking about God somewhat vaguely, but you know, it's up to you how you want to believe this, and so you believe the way you want to, you feel good about it, the people start coming, we, here we go. But if you bring a crowd of people in and you start teaching them systematically what the Bible says, because if we've got to hear what he says in order to believe what he says, and I don't believe it because it's a story. It's got to be specific. You talk about faith all you want to. Everybody's got faith because everybody thinks they have faith. Oh, I got faith. But when you begin teaching about faith, you begin describing what it is, how you get it, what it does. And how do you get it? And, and what does it do? Where does it come from? What's involved? How can you tell? These are things that men ought to know. We ought to know that. Are we walking with the Lord? Well, how can we tell? What does the scripture say about it? What should we do if we're not? What does the Bible say? If I told you tonight, after all these years, that people don't relish the idea of sitting for an hour and 12 minutes and listening to things like that, would you agree? They don't. But what will they listen to then? Something better than that or something different from that. Because what happens, again, back to our word guilt, what happens when you get located by the Holy Ghost about your life and you're out of harmony with this word? What happens? Guilt. It bothers you. You kind of squirm. You might get agitated, irritated. You might weep. One leads to repentance. One will lead another direction. Ah, who does he think he is? That, that won't work. Oh, God, I need to hear that. That will work. Because the only way God is going to bring anybody in this room into his kingdom is by your faith in his word. And if you want to know what his word says, you will have to seek it and find it. And if we find it and we are willing with a willing heart, you know, the fruit bearers are those who with... A good heart, hear the word and receive it and bear much fruit, then we'll have to do it that way. We'll have to find it, listen to it, digress it, evaluate it, think about it, and then make a decision. What am I going to do with this tonight? What am I going to do with these words of God about anything? What am I going to do? In light of the scripture, in light of what my heart says, what am I tonight, today, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to leave it alone? Because the Bible says we should give the, uh, 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 something the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, it's back to hearing, that we have heard, lest 
At any time, these things slip. They go. They leave us. We can say, oh, I've heard that. What does it say? Um, I don't know, but I've heard it. What good was it if you heard it, but it didn't become a part of who you are? Because when that word begins to become a part of who you are, your life begins to change, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who will be living and alive in me. Now, that's the broad way. That's the easy way. That's the popular way. That's the sought-out way, in, especially in the end times like we're in, in the religion of man, which evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, false this, false that, false everything. In sheep's clothing, as we'll see next week, in sheep's clothing, acting like sheep, inwardly they're wolves. They're after something. They're after you. But the power that is behind these people who are wolves in sheep's clothing is the devil. For Satan parades himself as an angel of light. What's his, what's his design? To kill, to steal, and destroy. One of our ministry's call is to expose the darkness. You bring people like you that have souls, precious souls together. As often as we meet, each opportunity when we come together, uh, we, do, we should do our very best to make sure that what people hear is the word and how to deal with it and your need for it. We have to be word of God-minded people, so we have to hear it and we have to do it. Now, what about the narrow way? Back in verse 13 again, enter ye in at the straight gate. One commentator says, rather than gate, it should be door. Enter ye in at, but it, it doesn't matter because it's an entrance way. It describes the way you get to somewhere. And he said, enter ye in at the narrow gate. He uses the word narrow. Again, it's not the same word in the next verse because straight is the gate and narrow is the way. So we're talking about the way here. Now, the word straight, by definition, simply means narrow. The second word for narrow is a word which means compress or to put under pressure. The root of this word comes from our word for trouble or tribulation. Remember Paul said, I was pressed out of measure once in 1 Corinthians 1. We much trouble. We've been through this. So you get the picture here that this way that is narrow and is straight is not sought after by very many people because it's somewhat confining and demanding. You can't live this way as you please. It is entirely on his terms. It is the way of the Lord for his people. And because it, it hems a man in, I'll, I'll use those words, because it hems a man in and confines a man and brings him that way, it demands great attention to the way he walks because you can't walk in some little bitty narrow path if it falls off on both sides. You can't walk this way without keeping, without keeping your eyes on it. And you can't wander through a narrow path. You can't just aimlessly walk around in a religious circle and do as you please and think as you please and, and have a general idea about God. You can't do that and say that you're walking a narrow, specified, specific, confining way. No, it doesn't rob you of your joy because people that are walking this way find joy that way. This is how we find it. True joy. True peace, it leads to victory in all the attacks that you've had. As long as you stay this way, trust in the words you have heard, and, and you stay on, I'm just going to try, you begin to experience divine things in your life. Like you begin to partake, as Peter said, of the divine nature. Something of God is offered to you as a way of life, and you begin to partake of it. You don't have to. A lot of people don't. Most don't. That's uh, too constricting. Uh, I can't do all the things I'm doing. Can't go all the places I'm going. Have all the fun that I'm trying to have if I do that. But this is the picture you get of the word narrow. 
It is something that, that is confining. It's a way in which you'll experience your troubles. It's a way in which you're going to set yourself up for opposition in the world, religious world and the secular world, maybe the domestic world in your home. Matthew 10, Jesus speaks of a man's enemies being those of his own house. How many wives have gotten saved and irritated their husbands? Something lodged in unregenerate people's hearts that hates God. They don't go to church. They did once. They have. But something happened in that early process of their life. Something happened to where they don't need that anymore. They have assumed that all Christians are money grabbers and they lie and they cheat and they steal. Because a lot of them have done that. But that doesn't mean we're all like that. But God allows that to happen. God allows people to talk about us and people in the church to be flawed. He allows all of that. He allows people to look at you and say, you're just like them. You're no different. He allows that. God doesn't prevent tribulation. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, he said, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. Why do we suffer persecution if we suffer persecution? Why do we suffer? Because we're living right. If we did not live right, nobody would persecute us. But when they persecute us, it's because we're living right. And everybody notices, if you're a Christian, they watch you like, well, through a microscope. They relish the idea that you make mistakes, that you're, uh, ha, ha, ha. They like that because it helps them solve and salve their guilt. They know you're right. They wish you weren't right. If I can just find something wrong about him, I wouldn't have to look at him with conviction or you. And so the narrow way is a, is a way in, in which God expects us to walk. It's through, the, it's through the gate. Jesus said a while ago in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Is there any other way to be saved? Have you got a Bible? Look in John chapter 10, verse moment, for, for just a moment, and verse 9. John chapter 10 and verse 9. It is true that not many people today want a religion or want a religious system or the Christian way that restrains them. Because every one of us know when God changes your life, he changes the way people see you. That when God changes your life, he changes the way your old friends or people you know see you. Used to go to the big county party, whatever that is, and I don't go to them, so I don't know. And if I mess up here, just understand, I'm just a brother Tom. Last year, you was at the big party. You tell all the funny jokes and kind of got, oh, a little bit inebriated, which nice word for drunk, kind of made a scene, and everybody thought it was funny, ha, 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 and they laugh about it through the year. Then you got saved. They want you to come back to the party next year and be the life of the party again. You say, I can't do it. Why not? Because I got my eyes open as a Christian. I got saved. You don't say it like this. They wouldn't understand it, but... I got my eyes open to the way I'm supposed to live, and I get convicted about what I've done. I'm sorry. God forgave me of all that, but I can't go back and do that any, anymore. I'm done with that. I'm not against you men. I'm not better than anybody. If you think I'm looking down my nose at you, I'm sorry, because I'm not better than anybody. I'm only better than I used to be, and I can't do that anymore. I can't drive like that anymore. can't act like that, go there, hang around that stuff anymore. Because as a Christian, my heart tells me that, that I'm different now. Is that right? You know what made you different? You went through that gate. Look at verse 9 in John 10. I am the door, Jesus said. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Can he be saved any other way? We're talking about life here. Life, being saved. And he shall go in and out and find pasture. You come into Christ, you come into life. When you come into life, he opens up for you 
all the things you tried so hard to get the wrong way and he opens up his good treasures of heaven. Your heavenly father knows you need all these things. He brings you into this abundant life. I think Jesus said that much in John 10. I am come that you might have life and have it how? Abundantly. Amen. So it's, it's not popular today to give up your personality that has attracted a lot of people. I've been here. I know what happens when your friends say, well, he's too good for us now. But my mouth, I had a runny mouth. I said, now, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you say, I don't come around you. Know, I haven't seen any of you all in my driveway. You know why? Now, that's ugly way to say it. But you know why they're not in your driveway now? Because they don't want to hear it. If you can't talk bebop, I don't want to hear it. If you can't talk foolish and stupid like you grew up, now you want to talk Jesus and life. Oh, man. There's not a single person, maybe one guy, my best man, and outside of him, there's not another, a single soul that I, anybody I ever ran around with that would accept me now. They would be nice now if we met at some kind of alumni. Oh, how you doing? And once they found out you're a preacher, they go, you are? I say, yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, good to see you. You know what they expect you to do? They expect you to talk about Jesus. You know what makes them uncomfortable when, it's, when you're sitting with them for lunch? This has always been a, a time of turmoil for a lot of people. They serve you food, and they're all sitting there. You say, well, I ain't going to make a scene here, so I just thank you, Lord, for this food in Jesus' name. And you open your eyes, and they're, and, and they're all going, who does that? Why'd you do that? I mean, they don't say that. I, I remember sitting down to pray one time, and a little fellow, there was a little boy at this table. He'd never been to church before. And uh, I started praying, and I got done. I looked up at him. He was looking at me like, what, what's this? Prayer. We were praying. Now, he knows now. But there's just something about a new way of living. I found there's something about living a life that you begin to encounter when you went through that gate, very narrow gate. Ugh! There's something about the way you start living on the other side is in response to God and in denial of self. Because the things that I feel like I'd like to do, i got this new conviction. Uh-uh, you can't do that no more. Well, everybody, I don't care who does it. I've been here a lot, many, much, many times. I don't care who else does it. I don't care who else doesn't do it. I don't care who else allows it. I don't care. It's your conviction. It's my conviction. And that's just the way we live because this is what this narrow way is all about. I mean, who wants to live that way? What's popular about being restrained? Turn to Luke 9 and Luke 14, and then tell me what's so popular about this. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life, live it the way he wants to live it, will lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Who does the casting away? God. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Now, I don't know how you read that or how you think about that, but that's pretty narrow. We have one life. God gives it to you. It's a gift. Now, you can keep it and destroy it, or you can give it back to God and prove that you have by living the way he wants you to live. Because if you say you gave it to him, but nothing's changed, then has he really got it? 
and advantage to, of gaining the whole, the whole world. Like, oh, no man, anything. There are people who believe that. There are people who do. I'm not saying we all do, but I'm saying there are people who believe that, that it's a conviction that they're not to owe anybody anything. And many of their friends assault them and say, well, then how would you ever have anything? How would you buy a car, a house, or something expensive? You will never have anything in this life. As though gaining things in this life is to your advantage more so than giving your way to God and let his way become your way. Because people think, well, you poor thing. You, but see, we've come to a place where we're not poor at all. We're quite blessed. I hope you are blessed. At least I hope you think you're blessed. Look at chapter 14. Who would really want to sign up for this? Who would want to come and drive miles or hours to listen to this passage of Scripture? Unless you've entered in through that gate. Listen to this, verse 26, Luke 14, and verse 26. Now, if any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, even his own life, oh my God, he cannot be my disciple. What kind of a life is he calling us to? How many of you know you need to be taught? Hate doesn't mean despise because we're told to love our parents. But in the sense of putting them before God, we hate that alternative. The idea that I would do that, including your own life. 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoa. Well, you can't just jump into this and do it because he goes on to say... If you're going to build a tower, you should sit down first and count the cost. Or if there's a man going to war, he should sit down and see what kind of, a, what kind of numbers he has and how, what, good, what kind of troops he has and then make a decision that way. But verse 33, you'll have to come to this. You'll have to reach this decision because this is what Christianity is about. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. That doesn't mean Bonnie and I have to go home tonight and just put some clothes on her back and walk out of the house. Because if, if you did it that way, you had to take your clothes off because that means forsake all you've got. Then you get put in jail <laughs> for walking down the road because you can't have a car and your feet's hurting on that, side, on that asphalt. <laughs> See, you have to read this and understand forsaking all that you have means that it's all God's. If he wants you to give it, then you will. If he wants you to surrender, then you will. He wants to be the one who uses what you've got, what he's given you, for his glory the way he wants you to. And he rewards you for being obedient. That's what he wants. And so Jesus is telling us very clearly here that unless you're willing to grant to God his liberty in your life, his freedom, his access to all your faculties and all your possessions, you cannot be his disciple. Now, what does that, how does that affect a person who, who says, well, I believe if I go to church and try hard and do good, I'll, I'll be all right. That's all I need to do. What does that person do when you teach this? It's just one little part of the whole thing. That unless you're willing to Verse 26 and then verse 27, unless, unless, and verse 33, unless, you cannot be his follower. You may be an admirer from afar off. You may be one who is associated with a form of godliness or Christianity, but you've never allowed yourself to indulge, get involved in it, and let his way become your way and his thoughts your thoughts. You never know because in evaluation of all of that, it seems just a little too much to ask for. And you know why we often think it's too much? Because we look at all the good Christian folks that we know. Whether our parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, our friends, our neighbors, people that we admire, all the good people that we know, and we know of nobody that is this restrained or this narrow. And yet people have said to us, you are narrow. Well, I think it's in the Bible. Let me ask you something. 
Did we dream this up? When, when one day a person, let's say a Christian, reads the 91st Psalm, and he's convicted about the fact that if God is going to satisfy me with long life, and if God is going to order my steps, and if no weapon formed against me in Isaiah 54 will prosper, and if he says that, uh, that he'll give his angels charge concerning me. Now, if a man reads that, and he reaches a conclusion, and he says, if that's so, then why am I living as though it isn't so? I mean, if God will do all of that for me, why am I counting on a piece of paper to do that? God bless State Farm and Prudential and the Lizard and all of them. I, but I can tell you this, that nobody can protect you from whatever comes tomorrow except God. That's one of his provisions for his people. Now, you can stand afar off like many do, never entered into this, and learn to quote that and get discouraged because it's not working for you. Or you can enter in, learn the mechanics of all of that, how the Spirit of God shows you how to operate this, and then it'll work for you. But if you begin to see that God's going to protect you, and you say to yourself, because this happened to me in Henryville, Indiana, 100 years ago, by myself, early in the morning, listening to a tape, hungry, asking myself, now, if this is true, then why would I need thus and so? Then it got better. Another night. This was another night. Owe no man anything. I thought, well, just exactly how much do I owe? All right, let me go see. General Motors Acceptance Corporation, GMAC, 1967 Oldsmobile, yellow Oldsmobile. I like that car. I owe, everybody owes that much. How about my Sears card? How much I owe? I didn't have a card, but Sears, uh, whatever I bought. And then here was another one over here from Sound System something or a tape recorder. Add all these up. Ding. Man, I owe uh, $1,500. I wonder how much money I got. In my, I mean, how I pay that off? Well, I, don't, I don't know how much money have I got. Well, get in here and get your little. Guess how much money I had in my savings account. Go ahead and say it. It's okay. $1,500. Uh, close. I missed not the exact numbers, but it was something like this. Then I was challenged. What's the challenge? If you're willing to do what he just said and get yourself out of debt, you'll be broke. But what can God do with a broke man? Teach him how to live. Teach you how to drive down the road to my first revival. I think that coming weekend, the first week long in the Lancaster Baptist Church revival I ever had. Thank God for the Baptists. They were so tolerant of me. Oh, man. And here I'm driving down the road, and you hear the devil. I didn't hear a voice, but the thoughts. Well, what would you do if you just, because I'd cancel my insurance. Didn't need it. I had the 91st Psalm. Well, what would happen if you just ran off this road and tore your car up? Broke your neck and legs and all that. I guess somebody had to come along and get me, I guess. I never gave much thought to that. The Bible says casting all of, uh, yeah. What are you going to do if, if you need a whole bunch of money comes whatever? You know, what my, you know what my answer was? I have no idea. But one thing I can tell you was I'm not going to fret about it because I just did something God told me to do. I got rid of this. I did that. I am broke, but somehow or another, I'm not all that concerned about it. I started broke. We begin this journey broke. The stove, you remember the stove testimony? How many of you remember the stove testimony? Well, I won't tell it then. It wouldn't work. We laid hands on it. It worked. Wow. And then things started working. Gasoline went up 50 cents a gallon one time back in 1970. <laughs> well, you laugh. It was 25 cents for years, and all of a sudden it's 50. And I'm wondering, what am I going to do about gas? And a guy in Lexington, Kentucky, when I gave me four credit cards, four gasoline cards from his company, said, buy your gas for these. 
And I thought, my, my, all of my needs are being supplied. And one night, I'll never forget this, going across down in Paducah, in western Kentucky, down in there somewhere. I used to go down there a lot. Going across the bridge, and my tank was about out on a 1973 Lincoln town car. It's a good ride. But I drove a lot, and my back didn't hurt as bad driving that car. And I saw the gas gauge go from, from empty all the way over to full. The best gas mileage I ever got in my life. <laughs> and, and it was like the Lord showing me. I, I don't tell that much because I know people go, well, I don't know about that. Well, did it anyway. It's just little things like that. I'm telling you, I talk about peace and joy a lot. Little things that we have experienced. Little Ebenezer stones that have been established in your past. And here you come towards the end of the days, the end of your life, the end of time. And you look back and say, at what point did he fail you and not supply your needs or take care of you? When? He never did. But when you start living like this, people go, oh, that's the church that doesn't believe in doctors, they say. I've heard that one many times. I say, wait a minute now, wait a minute now. Nobody has never said we don't believe in doctors. I'll say this, if it wasn't for doctors, most Christians would die. But I do say this, there's something better than that. There are many verses in the Bible that God has given us a better way. Am I willing, preaching this, am I willing to do this? Well, we started. And for the last, I don't know how many years now, maybe 100. I mean, every need has been supplied physically. Everything gets healed. Everything is well. Everything is working. Everything is right. People, oh, you don't believe in doctors. Let me tell you something. I believe in trees and cars. I got a cat in my house. It belongs to Bonnie. I gave it to her. Bonnie's got a cat. <laughs> I believe in doctors. I just don't believe that we should have to trust in their abilities. I thank God for them. I do because I don't think they're trying to kill people. I've seen too many people get helped and, and, and they're trying to do right. By, I'm fall for that. But for me, there's a better way. And so people hear you say that, and they go, what kind of a weird church is that? Because where do they hear that? Where have they ever heard that God heals? Where? Where? When? When has that ever been drilled into them that God is all-sufficient one, that he can do all things, including making your body well? I'm the Lord that healeth thee in Exodus 15. In Deuteronomy 7, 15, he said he would remove all sickness from the midst of us. Psalm 107, verse 20, sent his word and healed us. Isaiah 53, Proverbs 4, 22, 22, Matthew 8. Where do, we, where do we hear that? Why is it that people look at us like we're some freaks of nature? when We're just trying, and, and we don't always do this well, but we're just trying to live right. As the entrance of his word gives light, then we want to be those who walk in the light as he is the light. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's also the light. We're just trying to live right. We don't do a lot of things we used to do. We quit dressing the way the world dresses. I remember a time when women quit wearing pants because it was not appropriate. All the women wore skirts or dresses. You can't find a dress or a skirt today, hardly. And if you went into a mall, some of them old ragtag-looking windows they dressed up in there, that's the most awful-looking stuff I ever saw in my life. And, and jeans, you know, I've said this before, they used to jump off the bed, not anymore. You got to jump off a roof. <laughs> Takes five good men and a couple of cousins to hold them up while they jump in them, so they, they you know. But you know why? Listen, folks. It goes back to the fact that people want the world to notice them, that they're like the world. And when we start saying friends of the world are enemies of God, and then you begin defining the world, we begin to take note of the fact that I've been lined up with the world a bit, and we stop all that stuff. People who still like the world and are part of the world, they look at you like, well, why can't you, well, why can't you go there? And then your kids start saying, well, she gets to, why can't I? Instead of saying, because I said so, you just simply say, well, because we believe that it's right for you to do this way. Now, when you're 18 years old, if you want to run around in a halter and 
Go ahead. I remember when swimsuits were decent. I do. I remember when if a Christian lady went to a, a beach or something, that she, she was so well-dressed that people would look at it and go, look at that old, look at that old thing. Y'all send my mother's picture of the swimming suit she wore back in the 20s. They come all the way down to their knees, women's, and they were all fluffed out, so there was nothing to see but the fluffed out part. Well, what boy would look at that? Well, you'd be the goofiest looking thing on the beach. Oh, God forbid. God forbid. Lord, let me look cool. Let me show my behind so everybody go, wow. Because I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Look. How many of you know there's a disconnect? <laughs> How many of you know there's a disconnect between what you're supposed to believe and what you're believing? Come on now, you got the point. So I said, well, there wasn't much to look at. They ain't supposed to be. <laughs> All I'm saying is that, that new information, new processing is taking place in these minds. We begin to see that I'm no longer geared to wanting the world to look at me and be up to date in my fashions and, and all the latest whatevers. I just want to be like Jesus. You've got to overcome. He said, we must overcome. He that overcometh hath. If he overcometh not, he hath not. How narrow is that? Overcome. Yeah, all the stuff that you don't want to do, overcome your desire to not do it God's way. Overcome. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. He that overcometh not shall inherit nothing. How about prayer? We're supposed to pray, aren't we? The only prayer that ever gets answered is by faith. James 1, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God if he doesn't pray that way. See, when we preach like this, we're legalistic. We're just a bunch of legalists. Except when we say, all right, time out. What? Does the Bible say? You tell me. You tell me. You correct me. I'll listen. You tell me. If it doesn't mean what it says, please tell me what it means. Because too many people today say, well, I know the Bible says that, but don't you think. What difference does it make? We're just getting a whole bunch of new information, a whole new way to live. How about living separate? What happens when we separate ourselves? Come out from among them and what? Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And, and I will be a father unto you. And you shall be my children and I will be your God. When? What if we don't come out from among them? What if we do touch the unclean thing and say, well, after all, nobody's perfect. What if we do that? God isn't our father. Turn to 2 Corinthians 6, please. Verse 17, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and... Can y'all read verse 18? And I will be a father unto you. When? This is how you teach. When does God say he will be a father unto us? When we come out from among them, when we are separate. When we separate ourselves from what we know is wrong. What if we don't? Hello, what if we don't? If we don't, then we're not. Well, he says, I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What makes us sons and, and daughters? Well, technically and theologically, his grace. But how can we tell if we have been recipients of his grace? Because some frustrated. How can we know? By how you live. How you live. I have been touched by the strong hand of what? I've been saved by the father of Above or love, which is it? I'm in the embrace of amazing grace. How do you know? What's the evidence? 
in what way can I determine that you really are? Well, I go to church. The devil goes to church. Well, I sing hymns. He does that too. I think I've heard him. Things of that sort. There's a Bible that you're holding in your lap <clears throat> which simply informs us that we have so many stands that we have to take. Everything from the permanency of, of our marriage to the political systems of man to the occult to toys that are not right, games that are wrong, symbols and things. I was sharing with a brother at the church Sunday, if you're going to go to a foreign field, you really need to know what the occult is and how to deal with demons because they're everywhere. And you know, when you teach on that, you know what people who are not used to that do? Ooh, that kind of teaching scares me. What, the Bible? Scripture? Read it. Just read it. Don't let that scare you. This is the Word of God. God is teaching us His way. He's going to use us to minister to his people. We need to know that. So we do all those things. This is what he wants us to do. In closing tonight, this is not easy to live this life. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17, it talks about scarcely shall the righteous be saved. Scarcely, difficulty, with difficulty. The word scarcely means with difficulty. It means hardly shall the righteous be saved. Does that mean that this is not going to be easy? Let me tell you something. You may not know it, but let me tell you, because I know for myself, I need his grace, his favor every day. And I don't want God to ever leave me alone because every time he deals with me, it's grace in action. Grace in action. God is dealing with me, convicting me, Blessing me, informing me, convicting me again, rewarding me. That's what he does. Remember these words Jesus said, strive. Luke 13 and verse 24. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. This is where we started in Matthew's account. The word strive means agonize. Agonize, zomia. Agonize. It means to wrestle, something strenuous and difficult, something that is tedious, striving, it's effort. Strive to enter in at the narrow gate or the straight gate. Let me ask you a question. Are you? Are you applying, are you exerting yourself to get in? Or are you assuming that once you're in, there's nothing to do but sit back and live without a testimony? Strive. Strive. It's not easy. This word also means labor. Like in Hebrews 4.11, I think it's labor to enter into rest. You got to work at it. You got to work at this. It's not easy. There's a lot of resistance. The narrow way many will seek to enter in and will not be able because it's so hard to get through there. There's a lot of resistance a lot of influences of the devil to try to keep you from going in. Many people seek to enter in will not be able because they give up. They just quit. They just back off and say, well, because somebody probably told them, look, you're good enough. So they backed away. They believed that. And that was it. Let me close with this. One question. When Jesus said, few there be that find it, how many is a few? How would you define few? Let's just start with this. Those that came out of Egypt. Out of Egypt long ago, the Israelites were led by a mighty miracle. They all were kept and fed. How many of those who were brought out and kept 20 and over made it? How many? Two. Would two out of 600,000 be a few? Whew. That's lottery odds. Two people out of all those people that went in. What about the days of Noah? How many people probably lived on the earth in the days of Noah? We don't know. Two million? Million and a half? I don't know. How many made it? Eight people. Eight people were saved. 
Eight, Peter writes, 1 Peter 3 talks about eight people were saved. Would you say that eight out of all that existed on this earth was a few? Hmm. What about the days of Lot? The days of Sodom and Gomorrah, that ugly, nasty place. We don't know how many people lived in that large city. How many of them escaped? Four? Mrs. Lot turned into table salt. How many was a few? The Bible does not describe when it says few. It does not give you an exaggerated number. I've often thought, what if 144,000 was the, the number of people that will live in the New Jerusalem? You say, that's not very many. It isn't. It isn't? 144,000? How many honest, true believers are there that, that you know, really know? 144,000 is a lot of people. I'm not saying that's the limit of the number. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying that that's not very many in contrast to 12 billion people that have lived on this earth. There's as many people alive now as have died since Adam. If we're 6 billion here, there's been 12 billion people on this earth. What if only that percentage is so low that I try to use my calculator, it wouldn't even give me a, a point zero zero anything. It's hardly nobody. And yet, it's clear in the Bible, God said this is the way walking in it, and this is the way we're supposed to walk. Now, Jesus said, let me close with this. Jesus said, I didn't write this either, and you know it. But Jesus said, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Because the gate is straight and narrow, which leads to life, only a few... Only a few will find it. Now, my question to you is, are you one of the few? I'm not talking about Marines now. I'm talking about you. Are you one of the few that'll make it? Well, I believe I am. I'm confessing I am. I do. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful tonight again for your goodness and your mercy and your kindness you've shown to us, and the way you've led us, the way you've kept us, the way you have provided for us, we're thankful. As we leave to go home tonight, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all your blessings. We thank you for light, illumination, and the work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.